to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David begins a new series on church words, those words that you really only hear around the church. Let's talk about the word holy. Well, we're starting a brand new preaching series today, and it's titled Church Words, because there are certain words that you only hear pretty much in church, and you may have a good working definition of some of them, and others you leave utterly confused by them. And it can be a little bit hard in the church to raise your hand and say, hey, what does that word mean? If you think that everyone else might know. So we're going to spend some time on church words. Each week, we will study one different word. Now, you're not allowed to tune out if you think you already know what that word means. Because I promise you that even if you have a good definition of the word that we study, that you'll still benefit from the in-depth study that we will do on the topic that each word leads us into. So today's church word is holiness. And a closely related word that you'll hear quite a bit about, sanctification. Holiness and sanctification. You've probably heard both of these words throughout church circles in your life, but if you were forced to write down a definition of each one of these words, what do you think you would write down? Well, we want to explore these words together through Scripture to really walk away today going, oh, this is what they mean, and this is what they mean for me. So we're going to start in the Old Testament Because in the book of Leviticus, the third book in the Bible, God provides a a pretty good explanation of what holiness is. We pick it up in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. God says, You are to be holy to me, because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Okay, we learn two things from this verse. One, God is holy. And two, because God is holy, God wants you to be holy as well. Now, some people think of holiness as the equivalent of being really, really good, almost absurdly so. You know, someone who makes no mistakes in their life. I think that's where we get the phrase holier than thou. Right? You think if you're holier than thou, then you are just about perfect. But that's not actually what holy means. When we look at the Hebrew of this verse uh, and that word holy, here's the actual Hebrew definition. Something set apart for God as sacred. So holiness is not about being really, really good. It is about being set apart for the purposes of God. It's like saying, okay, if that thing is holy, then we're going to set that thing aside and specifically devote it for God, and we're going to call it sacred. Now, in the Bible, all sorts of things could be set aside as holy. Uh, Think back to the Ten Commandments, and the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Yes, one day should be set apart for the purposes of God. One day is to be fully devoted to God. One day is to be holy. 
Or think back to the story of Moses, when Moses sees that burning bush, and then he recognizes that the burning bush actually has the presence of God within it. And what happens to the ground that he's walking on? Well, God speaks from the bush and says, take off your sandals because the ground you walk on is holy ground. It is ground that is set apart for this special purpose of Moses meeting God within that burning bush. The ground was sacred. Yes, all throughout Scripture, things are specifically set aside for the purposes of God, and those things are called holy. So think back to our original verse now. Think back to the verse in Leviticus. You are supposed to be holy. You are to be set aside for the purposes of God. So the obvious question that probably comes to our mind is, well, how do I become holy? If God is holy and God wants me to be holy, how do I become holy? Well, here's how I think this works. One day, you decided that you believed in God and that you wanted Jesus to be the Lord of your life. We often call this a person's conversion, where your mind and your life were converted to a whole new way of thinking and living. But conversion is only the beginning. Sometimes we think of conversion as the end. Like, okay, you believe in God? Great, nothing else is necessary. You're good to go. But I challenge you to think of conversion as the beginning step of your journey in following God. Because once you say to God that you want God to lead your life, something happens immediately. God then gets to work on your heart. God comes into your life and begins forming you into this new person who follows God. And the church has historically called that process sanctification. Yes, this is our next church word. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. So think about that. With our definition of holy, since you know what that is now, being set aside for the purposes of God, well then, think of sanctification as the process of you doing that. The sanctification is the process of you setting aside parts of your life to say this is fully devoted to God. Now the temptation that I think we all share, is just to set aside a portion of our life for God. We'll say, well, God, you're you're satisfied with a little bit, right? So here's, here's this part of my life, but I don't think I really want to give any more part of me to you. I've heard an analogy of it's kind of like inviting Jesus to dinner. And you say, God, I'm I'm going to invite you to dinner. Uh, And then when Jesus comes, Jesus doesn't come in a suit ready for a dinner party. But dinner come, Jesus comes with work gloves. And you're thinking, well, that's odd. I thought we were going to have dinner, spend a couple hours together, and then I'd send you on your way. But instead, Jesus goes with his work gloves to every room in the house, not just the dining room. And Jesus has a garbage bag. And he's throwing away anything in your life that doesn't help you in your following of Jesus. And, and you're going, wait, wait, this is not what I signed up for. I thought we were just going to have a nice dinner together. But then, to your surprise, Jesus leaves, and a moving truck backs up to the house. 
And Jesus begins moving into your house all the things that can help you in your walk with God and becoming more like Christ. And at this point, you're completely overwhelmed by this whole process that's happening. Your house is being transformed. And then Jesus comes back with a hammer and just starts knocking down walls, putting up new walls, because this transformation process can be a painful one. By the time this is done, your house, your life, is completely changed. It is completely different. That's an image of sanctification, where God says, great, I'm so glad that you're inviting me into your heart, but I don't want just a part of it. I want all of your heart. And I'm going to get to work making that so. Now, I call sanctification a process with really an emphasis on that word. Because life change is not instantaneous. No, changing your life doesn't happen in the snap of your fingers. It is a slow process. And I would argue that sanctification, becoming holy, that is a lifelong process of turning over your heart to God. Because sanctification, I think it needs to be long, because it involves this inner work within you of God transforming you at your very core to someone who more closely resembles Christ. Here's how Paul puts it. Paul's talking about the same sort of change, this process that's happening with us. And, and he says this in Philippians. He says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so you look at that verse, and I ask you, who began a good work in you? And the answer is God, of course. God began a good work in each and every one of you. Every person who's in this room today or watching online, God has begun a good work in you. Now, sometimes that good work goes unnoticed by us for long stretches of time, doesn't it? And other times we are acutely aware that God is working in our lives. Sometimes it's a little bit painful, like knocking down those walls. But there are times that we open ourselves up to God to say, God, okay, I want to be a part of this. I want to partner with you in this deep inner work that you are about. But regardless of if you are aware of the work or not, Paul says God has begun a good work in each and every one of you. And this is the neatest part. God is not going to let that work fail. God is not going to let that work just peter out. God is going to carry it on to completion. So the type of character that God is trying to form in you right now, uh, the type of values that God is nurturing in your soul, uh, the type of attributes that God is attempting to build in your life, God is going to see that work through. And I really believe that God desires for us to become then active partners with God in that process of transformation. I mean, what would, what would happen if you really took the initiative to say, okay, God, if you want to work on my inner life, that I want to become that person that you want me to be? But I think taking that initiative to say, I, I recognize that I'm on a path of holiness, 
and I want to become an active partner in that, I think that actually looks like a conversation that Paul had with his friend Timothy. I want to spend some time reading this passage because in this conversation, Paul is going back and forth talking to Timothy about what it means to be holy and practically what that can look like in a person's life. So we're going to pick this up in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. Paul says to him, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, which is God, ready for every good work. So I read that scripture and I recognize, all right, none of us are finished products. All of us have still work to do, work that God is doing in us, in all of our lives, and that's okay. We're all in the same boat here as being a work in progress. But what we need to recognize is that work is taking place. That God is working in our hearts to rid us of anything that doesn't serve us and produce in us the attributes that will. Because at the end of the day, I think we all want to become vessels for God, set apart as holy. Well, as I study that verse and the way that Paul talks about holiness, the question that came to my mind is, well, what is the goal then? of holiness in the way that Paul outlines it. And he says it very clearly. The goal of holiness is to be useful to God. I envision that God looks at our lives and God recognizes the work that we're putting in. God recognizes it when you're trying to take that step to say, God, I want to become more holy. And God says, I can use that. I can use you. I can use your work. I can use the intention. I can use all that you're offering to me in this regard. So God wants to use us. And then also, did you catch the end? He says, to make us ready for every good work. I envision that God knows what is possible, right? God knows the good works that are possible in this church, in our lives, and in this community. And it's almost like God is just waiting for those who have prepared their hearts to be ready for that good work. To say, okay, God, here I am. I am taking this step on my path of setting aside my life, fully devoting it to you, and I am ready to partner with you for every good work. You see, I think the more that we progress on this journey, the more God realizes that we are open to working on the things that God is working on. And I don't know about you, but I want to be ready for every good work that God has in store. Now, Paul goes on, and he lists examples of what it looks like when we are on this holiness journey. When we're on this journey of sanctification, here's a bit of what that looks like practically. The next verse says, Flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So there are two things that I see here that talk to us about our journey of holiness. One is fleeing, and the other is pursuing. Uh, let's start with fleeing. Growing in holiness 
that means understanding that at times we are going to be tempted by what Paul calls evil desires. I've learned that my first impulse is not always my best impulse. Maybe you've learned that too. For example, when I'm driving down 16, and then they've got that really odd U-turn, and someone takes it when they shouldn't, and they kind of cut me off, my first impulse is not my best impulse. Or maybe you've had an example of where you've heard that someone is is kind of saying rude things about you behind your back. And maybe your first impulse is to say rude things about them to anyone who's willing to listen. Our first impulses are not always the best ones. But what if, when you have that initial impulse to do maybe what Paul would call an evil desire, what if we learn to pause in that? pause and then ask a question. The question to God, saying, God, how can you use this to grow me in holiness? Can you imagine if we began doing that? Every time we, we thought about something that would move us into an impulse that we know God didn't want, what if we just stopped and said, God, how can you use this? Use this to make me into a more holy person. That's the first step of holiness here is we are fleeing from those things that take us off the path of holiness. But in the process of fleeing, we are also pursuing. And what are we pursuing? Well, we're pursuing the attributes that God wants to form in our hearts. And you see them listed here. We're pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace and a pure heart. We are pursuing the things that are going to make us more like Jesus. So this process of both fleeing and pursuing, this process of holiness, it is not an easy journey to be on. And Paul is going to go on now to share a specific example of what some of those obstacles in that path can look like. Here's the next verse. He says, "...don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments." Because you know they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant, that's us, must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Wait, what do you mean that I can't get involved in stupid arguments? I I thought that was the whole point of social media, But, but apparently not. Apparently Paul has a higher standard that Paul is asking us to reach, but but I bet that we can all think of those times that we were drawn into an argument that even from the get-go, we knew we should not get involved in, and yet we just couldn't help but engaging in it. I've got two brothers whom I love very much. Let me start by saying that. (laughs) But there are times when they know exactly what to say to pull me into a really dumb argument. I think that's a skill that siblings have, don't you think? Paul wants us to remember who we are becoming. That is our goal. We are becoming God's servants, seeking to be holy. So therefore, instead of becoming quarrelsome, we are going to be kind. Kind to who? Well, Paul says kind to everyone. We are going to be able to teach, which I think is another way of saying willing to learn. We will refuse to carry resentment in our hearts. 
Do you remember when I told you that this path of holiness is not an easy path to walk? Now, even though we are to be these people who are kind and willing to learn, that doesn't mean that we're just going to avoid any sort of confrontation. It doesn't mean that we're going to be people who shrink away from conflict. Now, Paul goes on to say that there's a certain way that we can engage in conflict, and the way you engage in it is going to show you where you are on your path of holiness. Here's the last verse we'll study. He says, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. I wonder, what does gentle instruction look like with someone that you're in a heated argument with? That might be something we want to reflect on for a little bit this next week. That seems like an important question to me. But remember, Paul started this whole section on practical ways that we can become holy, practical ways that we can set aside our entire lives for God. And these practical examples then, when we follow them, will help us progress on your journey of sanctification. So if you can gently instruct someone that you're in an argument with, you are taking a big step on your journey of holiness. If you are able to be kind and not resentful, you are taking a big step on your journey of holiness. Yes, all of us today are in process, process of becoming more holy. And none of us are in the same spot in that process. Remember I said earlier, we are all works in progress. None of us are perfect. None of us are holier than thou. But my hope for us is that in our hearts, in the core of who we are, we are all taking this path seriously, saying, God, I know you're working in me, and I want you to do that work. Even when that work is painful, even when that work is hard, God, I want you to do that work in me to form me into someone who more closely resembles Christ. And I believe that God is willing to use every part of your life on that path and journey, from conversations to confrontations to initial impulses to the pursuit of godly attributes. God is willing to use it all. So the next time you face a major stress, a major challenge, I wonder if you can pause and say, God, how can you use this to make me more holy? Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.